Well, good evening. It's great to see you, and uh, we welcome you here today. It's uh, great to have you. I can't believe it feels like May. This week has just been so warm and so crazy. I just can't believe it's happened. Hey, one thing real fast. Most of you have these, but we keep running out every weekend. And we're, we had the 28-day countdown devotional by Jeff Lucas, and we reprint them and reprint them, and we keep running out. So uh, last weekend we're going to give them out because we're already halfway into this booklet. But you'll enjoy the whole thing. So if you didn't get one yet, they're just laying out across guest services. Read along. It's an everyday little thought leading up to Easter. We hope that you will take that with you. Another thing that I want to just mention is that the Wednesday night after Easter, we are having a just looking preview for people who come to faith Easter week. It's going to be the first time we've ever done this. And it's going to just be an invite, a brochure we're going to put in people's hands on Easter weekend. Please be praying for the friends that you're going to bring, that if they come to faith, maybe they don't understand what it means to be a person of faith in Jesus. We're going to explain all that on Wednesday night. We're going to have food. And if you already know the Lord, no, you cannot come. Okay? Unless you bring someone who is just looking and wants to hear about all that. So that's all I need to say. So thank you for that. Welcome, Windsor. It's great to have you join us today. And we are continuing this series called Springtime. And I'm very excited about that. We've identified some 14ers that we've been climbing. And hopefully you've received this brochure and you have it posted somewhere in your house where we've been talking about what it means to encounter God, the presence of the Lord, what it means to be a part of community, what it means to have apprenticeship in my life where I'm following someone and someone is following me in the discipleship process, and then mission, the mission that God has for you in your life. Well, this weekend we're talking about what community really means. We've picked that topic because it fits with this subject that we have that we've called a changed woman, a changed woman. And really today is all about community and what happens when we open our heart and our life and we give ourselves to someone else. This story is about a woman who completely changed. She accepted Christ and it impacted literally the world, which I'll talk about in a moment. But I guess it does pose a question. Um, do you think people really change? I hope you can go like this. Because I know I've changed. And I'm thankful for some of the people that I know that have changed as well. How many of you are really thankful for a change that's happened in someone's life of a person you care deeply about? Okay, that's important too. And so change can really happen. We have to believe that. It is possible. The first thing in your outline, if you have a program today, follow along. Number one there is just a simple thought to get us going in the story. And it's this. It is good to gather. It's good for us to gather together in our name, the name of the Lord. The Bible actually says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. And it doesn't say how often. It's, it's weekly for us, typically. Sometimes our small group is part of that. But we, we meet because on Resurrection Day, which is coming up, the early church, the Sabbath is Saturday, Friday night through Saturday evening. And then the resurrection happens Sunday morning, and so they all started gathering as Christians on Sunday morning. And so that's kind of how this whole tradition got started. But the idea is it's good to gather together. Now, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 16 and follow along. Because we're not reading a ton of verses, but the ones we are are filled with a lot of stuff. Verse 12 of Acts 16. 
From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank. How many of you like going to the riverbank? Okay. Where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. In other words, they, they heard that people go there to pray. They heard that something happens over there on 2908 Timberline Road or down in Windsor or in Old Town or in some other church in our community. They heard people were gathering there for prayer. So we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. This is not a big group. Uh, it, it could have been a half a dozen ladies who gathered to just talk and have fellowship and pray together for an hour. Women in this culture, this is a unique moment for them. Because typically, um, women were, man, thumbs down on women. They were suppressed, had a lot of issues to deal with. Men did not treat them like they, they were worthy of being treated. And so Paul takes advantage of this moment when he has these wonderful ladies who were gathered in prayer and he presents the gospel to them. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what opportunities come our way that we might not even see as a big opportunity. You know, in Paul's culture, he could have, he could have easily taken the typical male standard to say, well, it's some ladies at a riverbank. I don't think that's going to influence too many people. But he knows how God values people. And he knows the value that God has placed on you. We should know the value that God has placed on each of us. And so that's why it matters that we are ready to give our best at any given time. You know, we, I, I talk about kids' ministries a lot because I came to faith as a little boy. And my Sunday school teachers and the people who poured into my life as a kid, they had the biggest influence over me other than my parents and my family. And so right now what's happening with your kids, if you have kids being ministered to, pray for those leaders. Pray for those teachers. Because there's value in these children. So Paul sees value here. And the Bible just teaches us to gather when we can. So don't give up on gathering. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being a part of a celebration. We gather to pray. We gather to celebrate, to worship, to, to learn, to hear teaching from God's Word. And thank you for valuing that. I never want to take that for granted. That we are people who value that. The second thing that I want you to jot down is just who is Lydia. That's the name of the lady who is having drastic change in her life. Who is Lydia? We don't know her last name. We just know her from this one verse or this one section in the Bible. Verse 14. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira. Say that with me. Thyatira. Well, that was pretty good. Say that three times real fast. Ready? Thyatira, Thyatira, Thyatira. That was good. A merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. Now let's talk a little bit about this. Thyatira is a city in the southeast of Pergamum, approximately 40 miles inland. If you know where Athens is in Greece and you go right across the Aegean Sea and into Turkey, the Turkey border today, and you go about 40 miles inland, you will find Thyatira. It's called, it's, it's called Akasar today. Still exists. Now, Lydia herself was a seller of purple. What that means is that this region of the world, still to this day, has unique water that is able to produce purple cloth that is used back in those days for royalty. It's a really expensive cloth. It's quite a process to go through this. And so... Uh, it's believed that Lydia did really well as a seller of purple cloth. 
She came to faith on this day that we're talking about where Paul meets these ladies at the riverbank. And here's what's fascinating. She is the first European Christian that we know of recorded in God's Word in, in the whole world. So if you're a European, you have Lydia to thank for saying yes and helping spread that gospel. Very influential lady. Scripture does not go into any information about her family. It's fascinating because um, she, she is probably a widow, but it doesn't say that in Scripture. She's done really well, but it would not be common for a woman to invite some men over to her house if she wasn't some kind of a community leader uh, or a person of affluence in the community. She probably uh, had been married, but it's just, it's just not known. From Thyatira's history, from this day and age that we're talking about today, the names discovered on the monuments there, and I don't know if you like history, sorry if you don't like history, just stay with me for a few moments, I thought this was fascinating. This city was a melting pot of many, many nations. A lot of people came there, a lot of merchants, a lot of business. And there, the main god that was there was Apollo, who was worshipped as the sun god. But there was also a large Jewish community. Lydia found herself converting to this Jewish community and going for prayer every day for an hour. That's how Paul found her. She hears this message. She comes to faith. As a businesswoman, she's probably really wealthy. She offers a home for them to stay in whenever they travel through there. Many scholars, if you read about her life, will tell you that they believe that Lydia financed a, a big portion of some of the missionary trips that Paul and company went on. So she's a very important lady, even though there's very little said about her. We know she was devout because every day she made this journey to pray with these other women. She was kind. She was generous. She was willing to give what she had. And I love it when people of business take the time to truly be devout in their worship of God. Sometimes, you know, some of you who are starting businesses or you've been running a business for years, thank you for keeping God as a priority. Because as a business person, as a hardworking person, it's easy to kind of just put that on the back burner and let it go. Lydia said, no. Even though I'm busy, I have a lot to do. She probably had a lot of people working for her. She took the time to be devout to God. And that's some good news about Lydia. So if someone asks you if you know about Lydia in the New Testament, are you going to say, yeah, let me tell you about her? Okay, I want you to know some stuff about Lydia. So now let's get to the heart of this whole thing. Number three, what happens to the heart when it's transformed? What really happened to Lydia on this day? I'm fascinated by this part of the story. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. It's where I want to really kind of spend the bulk of, of my time with you. Because what's said about Lydia is, could be said about all of us at some point in our lives and those who have come to faith to walk with Jesus Christ. I want to open it up a little bit, especially coming into Easter and Holy Week. People are thinking about God. They're pursuing the identity of God. And I think we need to be paying attention and be praying for those people as we go into this sensitive time. Because I know the Holy Spirit is moving on people. The second part of verse 14. If you have your Bible there, it will be on the screen. Listen to what it says. As Lydia listened to us, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. And she accepted what Paul was saying. 
What was Paul saying? He was saying that Jesus is the Messiah, born as a child, raised, crucified, resurrected from the dead. That was his message, okay? That's what we believe. The Lord opened her heart. I wonder if you can come to faith if the Spirit of God, the Lord, doesn't open your heart. And is it possible that there's anybody on the earth that the Lord would never open their heart? I don't think so. Because the Bible teaches us that whosoever will can come and follow the Lord. So it does kind of pose a question that I want to open up and think about. Because if your heart starts to be hardened or closed to the Spirit of God, you're going to miss the voice of God in your life. And even if you claim to be a person of faith who is walking with the Lord, you're going to miss that direction that the Spirit wants to give you in your life. And I don't want that to happen to you. I've, have you ever had seasons in your life where you, you look back and you go, I sort of got, I, I had kind of a hardened heart. Like especially if I mentioned a certain person and you would just say, oh yeah, I don't really care about them. <laughs> they hurt me, they wounded me, you don't understand what happened, um, I don't give a rip about where, as a matter of fact, I hope they're not in heaven. You know what I'm saying? There's a hardened heart against, against certain things. Why? Because of wounds. Because of harm done. Because of pain in our lives. Relationships are tough and they're challenging. And they're not automatic. And so we have to pay attention to this. In, in Matthew 13, there's an incredible little story that I want to remind you of today. If you're, if you're familiar with it, that's great, but many of you may not be. It has to do with the, the soil in the ground. And I want to liken the soil to the soul. If you just take out the I and put in the U, you have soil to soul. And I believe the soul is much like the soil in this parable. Jesus told this parable saying that this is what happens even in an analogy of where the heart really, really is. The first kind of soil that he mentions in Matthew 13 is hard soil. It's like a footpath. He, he was teaching the people and he said, sometimes the seed, the gospel, what Paul was saying to Lydia and these women, falls on a heart that is hardened. And he said it's like a, a footpath that's been worn down. And then before it can get into the ground, the birds come and take, the, take away the seed and the seed never has a chance. If I said, do you know someone like that? I bet you could think of somebody. Because I personally think that sometimes the hardened heart isn't just because they're angry at God, but it can just be their life is busy, their schedule is tough, they wake up every morning and race, and they go, 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 until they drop again at night, and you get up again in the morning, and you go, 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 and it's just over and over. And there's no time for the Spirit to drop a seed into your heart. It just bounces off. I could sit here and drop seeds on this hard table all night long and none of them would penetrate it. Because it's not designed to receive seed. Hardened paths, hardened hearts will never receive the seed. Remember the second soil? He called it the shallow soil. And it was shallow because there, there were, there were uh, the seed gets planted there and there's no depth there in the soil for the seed to be able to really go down and the sun starts hitting the seed and if the seed doesn't get under the ground fairly quickly then it's going to burn up because it gets that water underneath 
the soil. And so I was thinking about this shallow, and I thought about people who, who want a quick change amidst pain in their life. So they run to Jesus, and they run to church, they run to someone who they know, they, they say a prayer, and everything happens, and they're all excited, and they get a Bible, and they start the journey, and then they come to this realization. My life still has disappointments. I still have to go to work every day. God didn't let me win the lottery. What's up with that? These real-life scenarios happen, and before you know it, that, that seed was just in a shallow... There wasn't education. There wasn't a reading of God's Word. There wasn't a discipleship program. There wasn't a mentorship. There wasn't apprenticeship. I see it happen all the time, and that's why we're desperately working to change that. I hope there is no more shallow soil in people's lives who come to Timberline. Because I want those seeds to be planted. The third soil is called soil that's filled with thorns. And I don't know why. I just can't. Yard work, I don't know. I've tried to love it. I've tried to like it. I, 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 even mowing the lawn, you know, people talk about the fresh smell of the, the cutting of the lawn. And, and, and it, it kind of does, but it's all clumped up and wet. And you've got to bag it. And, you gotta, and then it stinks. And then if it sits in the trash can too long, it gets all moldy. I don't even know what I'm talking about. So, I don't know. Um, Bonnie likes it. I'm not, I'm not so much. But, but I, I know one thing that I don't like at all. And that is that those stinking weeds grow whether you plant them or not. Right? That's what we have to remember here is the weeds are growing in your life. They're growing right now. And, and we have to be diligent in our soul to, to get those weeds out. Because our culture plants a lot of weeds. Would you agree? Everywhere you turn. I mean, you can be in line at the grocery store and there's temptation everywhere. You turn on the news from language to scenes on TV shows to all the stuff that you're just... You're just bombarded with. And it's, you're not asking for this. It's just coming to you because of the culture we live in. So we have to pay attention to the weeds. We've got to keep pulling out. The last soil is the fertile soil. And that's the best soil where the seeds grow and they multiply. And then Jesus even talks about 20, 30, 60 times more than that one little seed it can grow and develop into. You know, he ends that parable in Matthew 13 it says anyone with ears to hear should listen and should understand now i'm so excited how many of you were here the weekend that i planted some seeds in this pot okay if you missed it go watch it online because it's a miracle what you're about to see okay i'm not a good planter but we planted seeds and Nothing happened for a whole week. And then about the 10 days in, they started to pop up. So Cameron, get ready. This is the exact, we have not touched this. Cameron, our worship director, believe me, he has nurtured this. And he has taken, he put a little light on it in his office. So all I did was plant it. He's done the rest, but I want you to see what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. Seeds went into real good soil. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a different husband now because like when Bonnie brings all these bags home of soil and I'm like, hey, we got dirt behind the fence in the backyard. She's like, 
honey, you don't understand. What do you mean? Dirt is dirt. No, it isn't. I'm a believer now. I'm a believer. We planted the seed. We watered it. And thank God this analogy worked at Timberline. I told Cameron, if nothing grows, which is what I was expecting, you're going to have to just plant some something in there, and we'll have to just tell them that God did a miracle. And uh, he replaced my seeds with some bigger plants. But it's very real, and these, this really did happen. So, so let me ask some, some questions about the soil prep, and then we'll move on. But I, I don't want you to miss this. How does the heart, the soul, become ready to receive the seed. What has to happen for you to become the soil type that has a soul where the seeds of God can be planted, even if it's not for salvation, if it's for growth, new beginnings, new ideas, new concepts, new relationships? I've been thinking a lot about this, and I don't have all the answers, but I think one of the most common ways... For people to open up their heart again is through heartache and pain. Now, I don't like saying that because I'm a very positive guy. But in the ministry that I've seen all these years, people seem to be the most open to the seeds that God wants to plant in them during times of really tough moments in their life. Where something has ripped them apart and they find themselves humbled before God. And willing to say, God, I'm desperate for you to plant new seeds in me. Anybody agree with me on that? Anybody here or in Windsor that could just raise your hand and say, that was me. That's what opened me up. Yeah, look at that. I don't like that, but I think it's true. So if you're in a really tough time right now, it may not all be bad. Because you may really be seeking, and God really may be turning that soil so that you can see something bigger. I think another thing that happens is when, when people come to the place of emptiness and their life feels like they have no meaning. And they reach a certain stage in life and maybe the kids are gone, they're bored or whatever, and they just wake up one morning and go, my life doesn't matter. I have no meaning, no purpose. I think that can be a moment when the soil is prepared and God says, hello, I, I have purpose for you. So be praying for that, for Easter week coming up as people are thinking. I think witnessing change in other people is another way that people get excited. They see change in your life and they realize it's real and they go, if they can do it, I can do it. The experiencing of enlightenment through knowledge, through teaching, preaching God's Word, the study of God's Word, a Bible study, many of these things can prepare. The recognition of depravity, when people get on a spiral downward and bad things lead to more bad things. How many of you know that's true? It's true. And if you don't stop that, you're going to end up somewhere with a wake-up call. And God is going to be there to say, are you ready yet? Because I have a plan for your life. Okay, let's move on. Number four, I've just put a desire for connection. A desire for connection. This is fascinating because in verse 15, she insists on something. And you don't really see this in other places in the Bible. She and her household were baptized, verse 15. And then she asked us to be her guest. She said, if you agree that I am truly a believer in the Lord. In other words, she was saying, hey, I've said, I believe in what you said. I've been baptized. And now come and stay at my home. 
and she urged us until we agreed. This is hospitality. This is like, come over. If you believe this has really happened to me, then we are... Lydia needed affirmation. She needed connection. She needed all the things that we need. She needed a small group. She needed to open her home and say, hey, it matters. It makes a difference. I want you to come into my space. And that's a powerful thought. That's why really exciting things happen in small groups in people's homes. You know, that's why your home is probably one of your greatest assets, no matter what it is. It could be a tiny little apartment, but people's lives can be touched in there because of connection, relationship, friendship, the intimacy that is there. I have some people who are going to help me. We've not tried this before, and it could just, it might not work at all, but why don't you guys come on out, Holly and Cameron, and I think there's four of you, and and I just want to do a little illustration here. They're going to kind of stand behind me here, and they have a ball of yarn, and we're going to see just how gifted they are, because who has it? Holly? She's going to hold on to the end of this piece of yarn and try to throw it to someone else. They're going to catch it, hold on to it, and throw it to someone else. So go ahead. Go ahead and start throwing it. And I'm just going to say a couple things about this. As Did they drop it? Yep. That, that's what happens in relationships. Sometimes you, you think you give the perfect pass, and it's just the idiot who missed it. Right? But in fact, it might be something different than that. It might be that they weren't ready for it. It might be that they're not as open as you are about relationships. You know, friendship has to happen naturally. Sometimes you're ready for a relationship, but maybe someone else isn't. And so what happens is they go and they they throw the ball of yarn to someone else. And there's a friend here. And then that friend's (laughs) connecting to there. And this is a perfect example of Cameron continuing to miss the passes of friendship. (laughs) But you keep trying. You don't give up. You keep trying. You keep tossing that ball of opportunity, of friendship, of openness. And you say, I want you to be a part of my life. And they pick you up off the floor and say, yes, you can be a part of my life. This is what happens when we are connected. You know, I don't know if it's true, but I've read multiple times that you're only seven relationships away from anyone in the world. Have you ever heard that before? How you doing back here? You caught it. I'm so proud of you. He's good at planting plants. I'll tell you that right now. Um, you guys can stop for a minute. I want to do a couple things. Now, can you tighten it up a little bit? Pull on some of those loose strings. I'm going to step aside. Now, when I count to three, I want you, I want you to lift it straight up in the air. One, two, three. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Okay, put it back down. And now I want you to go all the way to the ground. One, two, three, go. That's really good. Now, Holly, you stay down and the rest of you pull it as high up as you can. Oh, what happened? This is a perfect example of what happens in connection when you have someone in the family who's not cooperating. All of a sudden, the lines are not parallel. All of a sudden, things go out of whack. All of a sudden, it's not, it's not, it's not this nice, nice, neat package where everything works. Come on, Holly. Get with it. There you go. Hey, let's give them a hand. They've done a good job illustrating that. When we need connection, it's, it's like a picture of that ball of yarn. You're just a few relationships away of something that can bring life to you. There's four things that I want you to consider as just a takeaway 
that I think are practical applications to a message like this. And I hope that you'll, you'll take these with you and think about them this week, okay? Thoughts to consider. Number one, I should share my faith. I want you to just be on. There's no guilt in this. But when was the last time you actually talked to someone about the Lord? You say, well, I don't want to force it. Well, you probably had an opportunity that you missed if it's been years. Right? So let's own that. Let's just say, okay, God, I'm missing. I'm missing something. And I'm not, I don't like, I don't like bullying Jesus into every conversation. I think that's a huge mistake. And you can just run people off and make them angry. So please don't do that. That's not our DNA as a church anyway. But what I do is I try to watch for that moment when people have some fertile soil that I can see in their life. One of those things that I talked about earlier. Maybe there's brokenness in their life. Maybe they're confiding in you. And, and you can just say, I'd love to pray for you. I believe there is a God. I believe He cares about your need. Are you open to letting me do that? You know, I, don't, I can't think of a time when someone has said, no, you can't. I had a real tough situation uh, as a, as in a friendship with someone who was really hardened against faith. And for some reason, he let me into his life. And when his world fell apart, I asked him finally, can I pray over you right now? And can I just put my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? This is a tough biker guy. And he started to cry. And he said, yes, would you please? Never before had that door been opened. But it was opened that day because of something going on there. So I just want to encourage you to share your faith when the door is open. Number two is try to keep an open heart. You know, I want to, I, I examined my heart this week. I, I went to God and I just said, God, do you think that I've miss, I'm missing opportunities because my heart has just either grown shut or the path or the rhythm of my life has just made it the hardened path and the seed. You're trying to put the seed in there and I'm not getting it. And I, and I, even, I even asked my wife, is there anything in me that you see that I'm missing opportunities? Am I callous toward anything or am I staying sensitive to God? I would, I would say stay in This world that we live in right now, it teaches us how to close off our heart. It teaches us how to lie be it online or in person or eye to eye, it teaches us how to mislead people with what the truth really is. Don't do that. Number three, listen to other people. You know, who is speaking into your life? I hope it's the right people. If you've shut everybody out, that is not a good idea. That is not a good thing. And number four, appreciate friendship. I love Lydia saying, come over to my house. You have to. I'm not letting you not do this. You know, decide not to be an island, even if you've been hurt. My, my last thought before we, we pray together is just with my friend Ricky Johnson. He, he was my very close friend in, in elementary school growing up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I grew up until I was about nine. And we were maybe eight years old, seven or eight years old, and we were, we were in the bunker, our fort which was in our backyard. We had dug these four and five foot holes and put plywood over the top and dirt over that. And we had systems, man. We were in the big main bunker with a candle. And Ricky leans over to me and he says, Are we best friends? And I said, I think we are. And he pulled out a needle. Not a drug needle. A sewing needle. And he said, I heard that if you're best friends, you're supposed to poke your finger and rub the blood together, and then you're blood brothers. 
Don't ever do this with anybody ever in your life. How many of you have done this? Oh my goodness, that's crazy. No wonder our world is filled with chaos. No wonder we have diseases everywhere. We poked our fingers and we became blood brothers. Why? Because even as a seven or eight year old kid, there was a desire for connection. There was a desire to feel wanted and needed and to be a part of someone else's life at a deep level. That's what the Lord is offering us. That's why He spilled His blood on the cross and said, This is my blood for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Powerful today, what you're putting in our hearts. It's not such a simple story as just Lydia being at the river and accepting you into her life. It impacted all of Europe. It impacts us today. Her name is written in eternity forever. Her generosity has now reached millions of people by her support of missionary work. And she's part of your family. And we're part of that. And we're connected. So I pray as, as we consider these things, you will move upon our hearts. Would you open our hearts? With heads bowed, this is, this is pretty serious stuff, but I'm going to say it. If you need the Lord to open your heart, if you need the Spirit to open your heart, would you let me pray over you and say yes to the wooing of God? And just slip up a hand to God and say, Lord, that's me. I need you to open my heart to this message, to this truth, to this healing you have for me, to this mission. You can do it now. God bless you. Let this be an evening that impacts you greatly write the date in your calendar and say this day something happened in me the Lord opened my heart some of you have been walking with God for years the Lord needs to open your heart again because we become professional Christians but we are afraid to share our faith we don't know what we believe we are not in an apprenticeship program and God is helping us right now to say there is more Lord, I open my heart. I need a fresh touch. The second thing that I'm going to ask you to respond to is just a simple need that I felt God wanted me to pray over some people. It doesn't mean you're weak or unstable. But if you feel lonely or alone or empty, even if you say, I believe in God, I know He's real, but still, in this culture, there's isolation. And I want to pray, I want to pray something into you right now as a brother. We call this our living room because we talk about real life here. So don't be afraid if you say, I feel alone. I feel empty. Just lift up your hand, would you? Okay, let's just pray. Church, help me pray. If you didn't lift your hand, would you really pray earnestly right now in in agreement with me? Lord, this is our family. These brothers and sisters are sitting with us right now feeling alone, lonely, and empty. 
I pray that we would toss this ball of yarn to them. I pray that we would offer to them. I pray that they would know we believe in them and we're standing with them. And that even though they are not alone physically, they're with us right now. They have felt alone in the emotional needs and the challenges that this world has pushed upon them. And so we pray as family over them. We lay our hands on them. And we pray for the right connection and for the right empowerment and that they would walk out of here with a new beginning, just a fresh start of something that says, I know my life counts with God and I'm going to trust Him for it. If you're here tonight without Jesus, you have a, you, maybe you're Lydia, you, you just haven't prayed that prayer to accept the Lord. Can I just ask you to pray this with me right now? Lord, come into my life. I confess my sin to you. I believe you died on that cross for me and you rose from the dead as the Son of God. And I believe it like Lydia believed it. And I confess it to you. And I trust you. Now help me to to forgive myself as you have forgiven me and to move on. And do great things for the kingdom. In your name, Lord, we pray all of these things as kids, your kids. And everyone said amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thyatira. (laughs) Wow, Lydia. I'm thankful for her. And I'm thankful for Paul and company who gathered around some ladies and told them a story. A true story that changed their life. Amen.